Thank you so much for tuning in to Varying Viewpoints podcast series sponsored by the Samuel DeWitt Proctor Institute for Leadership, Equity, and Justice at Rutgers University. I'm your host, Bianca Neal, visiting scholar at the Samuel DeWitt Proctor Institute for Leadership, Equity, and Justice in the Rutgers Graduate School of Education and the Rutgers Center for Minority Serving Institutions. Today's podcast episode explores the academic and life journeys of Latina professors. In my scholarship, I noticed the gap in guidance for Latinas navigating the academic terrain into the academe. This was initially prompted by my discovery that Latinas are gravely underrepresented in the professorate, which contrasts the current budding and future growing population of the overall Latina community. I am here with our invited guest, Dr. Laura Castaneda, an award-winning professor of professional practice in the USC Annenberg School of Journalism. Before joining USC Annenberg, she taught at Temple University and worked as a staff writer, editor, and columnist for the San Francisco Chronicle, the Dallas Morning News, and the Associated Press in San Francisco, New York, and Mexico. Dr. Castaneda has been awarded a Knight Bagahot Fellowship in Business and Economics, reporting from Columbia University. Her scholarly articles have appeared in Journalism and Mass Communication Educator and Journalism Studies. In 2019, Dr. Castaneda was awarded the Barry Bingham Senior Fellowship by the American Society of News Editors in recognition of her outstanding efforts to encourage students of color in the field of journalism. Last but not least, she was named one of the nation's top 10 journalism educators who are making a difference and was recognized as a disruptive educator by CUNY's Toe Knight Center for Entrepreneurial Journalism. Without further ado, I welcome Dr. Laura Castaneda. Hi, thanks for having me. Thank you so much for your time. So let's get started. I wanted to know, as we're learning about um, personal journeys, can you describe your life and perhaps academic experiences um, from a childhood perspective in elementary school? Um, sure. I grew up in the Los Angeles area, specifically the San Gabriel Valley, if any of you are familiar with that. It's just um, about mm, 16 miles east of Los Angeles, downtown Los Angeles. And I grew up with four, four brothers, my mom and dad. And uh, where I grew up, I mean, uh, you know, we didn't grow up with you know, around families uh, where the parents really went to college, you know, everyone was sort of working class or immigrant families. And my parents uh, did not attend college. Uh, my mom is an immigrant from Mexico. She actually had to start working full time when she was 13. So she dropped out of school pretty, pretty young. But, um, you know, I always liked school. I did well in school. And, um, you know, I got a lot of encouragement from from teachers. And when I was in high school, I discovered in ninth grade that I really, really liked journalism. You know, we had a really good journalism, high school journalism program. We had a really good journalism advisor. Um, you know, our high school did not have any sort of AP programming. We had no AP classes. I didn't even know what those were until I got to college. So, you know, we didn't really have much as far as like honors or anything like that. But, you know, the, it was journalism that really kind of pushed me because, um, we just had a really good program. And so we were able to win all kinds of awards and, um, 
and just really produced some really good work and just really kept me motivated as far as school goes. And so when it came to looking at colleges, um, again, we didn't have very good advisors, um, but I knew I wanted to go to college and I knew I wanted to study journalism. I knew I wanted to be a journalist. And um, I remember our college, our high school college advisor saying, well, you know, there's um, a community college just up the street. And I said, well, yeah, that's, that's fine, but I know I have the grades and, and the SAT scores um, to go to a four-year college, and that's what I want to do. And, you know, I basically got no guidance. I mean, it's just kind of a typical story, you know, way back when. Not, maybe not so much anymore because we have so much information available to us via the computer and at our fingertips since we're different programs. But back then, you know, in the early 80s, you know, we really had very little. So... Um, you know, I just went to the library and I started looking through these guidebooks, looking for schools with journalism programs, you know, four-year schools. And, um, you know, I really, again, I mean, I really know what I was doing. So I just applied to two schools, which was ridiculous, right? Now where students apply to 12 to 20 schools. But I applied to two and I got into both and I picked the one that gave me the most money, right? It was just so simple back then. Um, plus Pell Grants. Pell Grants back then covered lots of, lots of tuition, um, and so I ended up going to USC as an undergrad. Um, it was close to home, which also helped. Um, and, uh, you know, that's kind of what got me started, at least, you know, in going to college. Um, but it was, you know, I guess that, that whole applying to college and really trying to get there was, um, was I guess, that first experience of, wow, you know, I guess, I guess, you know, we don't have a lot of help. I didn't have, I, I don't have, I'm not getting a lot of help. I'm not getting a lot of guidance and I'm going to have to do it myself, um, which was frustrating. But, you know, I was able to, I, I was able to do it. I applied to a lot of scholarships on my own, which helped get me to USC and helped pay my way there. Um, of course, once I got there, it was, it was also a big, um, a big adjustment. And because you mentioned about, um, I guess, your interest in journalism, was there a specific project or the program, like what was that aha moment when you realized you liked journalism? Well, um, you know, I always liked reading and writing. I was just kind of a nerd. Um, but I, I figured this was, this was a job or a profession or a career that would allow me to continue to learn, write, and read and absorb information, but also to write because I, <clears throat> I enjoy writing. I like writing. But it would also give me an opportunity to to travel and explore different parts of the world potentially, um, and so just and to ask questions, you know, to ask questions to, of people in power, and write, provide information, important information to people, and it just kind of brought everything all together for me. And I just thought this is really something that could be just a great career. Um, and my older brother. Um, was also or is also still a journalist and so he was a couple years ahead of me and he also ended up going to USC and studying journalism and so he also sort of paved the way but he had the same experience you know he was in college and wanted to go to four-year school and got no help and just we sort of both fell into you know going to college locally because um, you know we knew about the journalism school and it was you know 13 16 miles away and that's where we ended up going um and it worked out but you know now in hindsight we always wonder god you know if we'd had some some other or some better guidance maybe we would have ended up you know we could have maybe ended up at 
you know, Harvard or Yale or something. I don't know. It doesn't matter now, but it all worked out. But it's just it's just kind of fascinating because you know we had had lots of potential and had had the grades and just just by ran just randomly I just test well and that's why I had decent SAT scores. But you know I just certainly didn't have any test prep or anything like that. Was there some? What was the the the, the prompting for you not to listen to your counselor who said go to a two year community college? Yeah, well, you know, she just sort of made me angry. I mean, you know, she had my grades there right in front of her, and she had my SAT scores, and she had all my extracurriculars, and I had a lot of extracurriculars just because the school was not very challenging. You know, like I said, we had no AP courses. <laughs> we had no honors courses. Um, so, you know, I spent most of my time at the news, at the school newspaper, and my teachers, and because my teachers knew I did the work, they always, literally, you know, they would say, you know, I was in English class, and I would say, hey, I did the work, can I go to the, to the newspaper, um, uh, you know, to the newspaper, they say, yeah, okay, and I would just walk out of class and go do work at the newspaper, I mean, that's how, how ridiculous it was, I mean, I, I it's improved since then, okay, now I, I hear they do have AP courses, um, but, you know, it, so I was just kind of insulted, frankly, you know, I felt really like they weren't taking me seriously, and they weren't listening to me, and um, yeah, I just sort of felt like she wasn't doing her job and that she should have, you know, taken more of an interest and really, you know, tried to help me and get me to where I, get me to where I wanted to be. So part of it was, I guess I was a little angry and some of it was just, you know, youth, right? I hear I was 17 years old and I thought I knew everything and I thought, well, how dare you? <laughs> so some of it was like, you know, I had a chip on my shoulder. And who are the people who positively impacted you along your academic journey or your transition into college? Um, it was my um, my high school journalism advisor. Um, she was just um, amazing, uh, and like I said, we had a really good. I mean, for for being in a, you know, I guess a low achieving high school, generally speaking. Um, you know, high dropout rate. We didn't have a lot of students go to college immediately, you know, that sort of thing. Um, we had a pretty good newspaper. I mean, we, we'd win local awards and state awards and, and uh, you know, a lot of our students anyway did go to college. Um, and, you know, she was just, uh, just super, super encouraging and she'd stand up to the high school administrators when they didn't like what we'd write and, um, you know, big supporter of the First Amendment, really teaching us all about that sort of stuff, um, giving us a lot of freedom uh, to do, you know, what we could, what we could, as much as we could, within the constraints of a high school newspaper, um, and just really making us or helping us believe in ourselves that we could do this, that we had as much talent as other other students from, you know, much wealthier schools or school districts. So um, I think she had a, a really big influence. And then, you know, to a certain extent, my older brother, I guess he paved the way because he ended up going to USC a couple of years ahead of me. And I figured, well, if he can do it, <laughs> you know, I can do it. You know, we sort of had a prickly relationship. Um, I mean, we're good now. We're very good now. But, you know, early on, teenagers, that sort of thing. Um, so that was also sort of, you know, um, I guess he was sort of a, an inspiration in a way, kind of like, what do they call it? Like, uh, you know, a, a hate inspiration, <laughs> like, you know, again, like, you know, he's not going to show me up. I can, if he can do it, I can do it, that sort of thing. And, and our, frankly, our parents too were very, 
um, very supportive. I mean, they couldn't just write checks, right, and just pay our tuition, but, you know, they were, and they didn't, but they didn't balk at this idea like, oh, our kids are going to be journalists. I mean, my dad always, you know, mom and dad always read the newspaper, they always watched the news, and so they could actually conceive of this idea of their kids doing this, um, whereas I think, you know, a lot of my friends' parents wanted something a little more tangible that they see every day, like, okay, yes, I can see you being a teacher. Yes, I can see you being, uh, owning a business or being an accountant or something. Um, but, but no, my parents like would see, you know, read the paper and think, well, sure, you could do this. Why not? And, um, and so they were very supportive, um, which is great. That is great. And it's pretty awesome because, um, that is, a popular notion that when it's something like journalism or even the field of entertainment, not all parents mm -hmm. are supportive because it, there's sometimes there's not a clear path. Um, mm -hmm. I know that USC's journalism school is very, you know, well known and it's renowned, and not everybody can under understand or conceptualize what their child can do with a degree in journalism or a degree in film when it's always not right. you know, clear. So that's wonderful that your parents were very supportive. When you started to, um, when you attended USC and you were fully into the journalism program, were there any other professors or even um, the student newspaper or what other involvements did you have on campus that really fueled that uh, passion in you? Yeah, you know, my first year, freshman year, was really, really hard. It was a big transition because, as I said, our high school was not, frankly, um, uh, particularly rigorous, and um, I don't feel I was very well prepared for college, frankly. And so the first year was a real boot camp, in a way, for me. Plus, again, because, you know, for some weird reason, I just test well. I always have, and I had in theory, good grades, but again, because it was in a lousy high school, I mean, I really didn't mean much. Um, I was accepted into this freshman honors program, and like an idiot, I, I took it, I accepted, because I thought, oh, great, yeah, that's me, I can do that. But it was just really, really tough. I mean, I don't think I ever worked so hard for, like, bees, and I'd never gotten bees in my life, right, that sort of thing, and I felt like I was failing, and I felt like, oh my gosh, maybe I can't do this after all, and you know, I was getting migraine the first time in my life, and I just felt overwhelmed completely. Plus, you know, at that time, there were so few Latinas and Latinos. And I was going from predominantly Latino high school and community into this place, you know, pr primarily white institution. Um, and there weren't a lot of supports back then. You know, now there's so many more that we have, like, a first-generation student center. We have lots of groups for Latinos, Latinas, and every, every community you can imagine. But back then, we really had very little. So... And people just didn't talk about these things, didn't talk about stress. You know, I started college in 1981. You just didn't talk about this stuff. We didn't have the language. You know, you just kind of sucked it up. You kept it to yourself. And so it was just internalizing a lot of the stress. And um, so it was, it was really, um, it was really pretty awful, those, that first semester. It started getting better in the second semester because that's when I took my first journalism course and I joined the student newspaper. Um, and that helped for two reasons. Number one, because, I mean, I started getting A's for the first time in, at, in the journalism courses. And, so I, and I thought, okay, this I know how to do. 
okay, and I can do well, and I can compete with anyone else here doing this. And then, um, you know, at the newspaper, I kind of found, you know, you find your tribe, right? You find your people. And um, everything clicked, and I just started feeling like, okay, I, I, I do belong here. I, I'm not just this weird outlier, and they made a mistake, and why am I here? So I think that helped. I also There was also one Latino professor <laughs> who um, was great, Felix Gutierrez, um, who's now retired, he's a professor emeritus. And so uh, he was there. I actually met him when I was a senior in high school. And uh, he was teaching at USC at the time. And I met him at a high school journalism competition. Um, and we were chatting. And, uh, and I was trying to decide between USC and another college up north, Northern California, which did not have a journalism degree per se, but, um, you know, it was a very fancy college, but it didn't offer me as much money as, uh, USC and, um, or I was, a, or anyway, I was still waiting to hear about USC, I guess the financial package. And he said, no, he said, come to USC, we'll take care of you. And they did, you know, USC gave me tons of money. Um, so basically graduated debt free. And so, um, you know, Felix was really instrumental. He really kind of watched out for me those four years I was there and was always there to, to support me and talk to me and encourage me and, you know, point to different um, opportunities and really was there to, you know, he was there as someone I could really talk to about, you know, well, should I do this or what class should I take or what about this internship or would this be better or this, even like my first job offers, you know, what should, which one should I do? What should I do? And should I take this or that or Back in the days when you had multiple job offers, <laughs> when you graduated from journalism school, that's not so common anymore. But um, yeah, so Felix Gutierrez was was um, you know a great mentor, and then he was a great mentor when I joined the faculty because he was still there teaching at USC. So yeah, that is amazing. That's awesome. Yeah. So you graduated from college, and did you go straight into the workforce? And to I did journalism. So, can you share about that experience? Yeah, I um, see. I graduated from USC, and it, it ended up being a great experience. Like I said, the first year was really, really hard, but then you know everything sort of clicked, um, and I really appreciated that horrible honors program because, like I said, it was a boot camp. It really taught me about how to write academic papers, how to do research, you know, just how to be a student, right? And so the rest of my three years were much, much easier. So I was able to double major, graduate with honors. Um, by the time I graduated, I think I had three or four internships, um, newspaper internships at very good places, including the Washington Post. And when I graduated, I had three, three job offers. Well, two job offers and an internship offer. And interesting, interestingly, I took the internship offer, which is now people look at me like, are you, were you crazy? Why didn't you take the job? One of the jobs. But I took the internship because... I just wanted to try working at a wire services with the Associated Press. And the offer was, you know, you take, take the internship and if you do well, we'll offer you a job. And I, of course, again, young, arrogant, you know, confident. I thought, well, of course I'm going to do well and I'm sure they'll offer me a job. And you know, the wire service, maybe I can go overseas faster than I would at a newspaper, right? They have bureaus all around the world and that's what I wanted to do. So uh, I ended up taking an internship at, in Denver, Colorado in their bureau and it was great and it all worked out and they said yeah we'd love to keep you here but we don't have an opening here so go home for a month relax and we'll call you with the next opening and it'll be yours I said great so I went home and just thought 
you know, I was willing to go anywhere. They sent me anywhere, whether it was in the Midwest or, you know, Alaska, you know, I didn't care. I was going to go wherever. And just totally by luck, the first job, first opening they had uh, was in San Francisco. So that was my first full-time job offer, which was super, super lucky. Um, you know, a lot of people don't get that at the AP for their first job offer, but that was my first full-time position. Um, and I was there for about two and a half years. And from there, the AP uh, transferred me to New York to work as an editor on the international desk. I was there about two and a half years. And then from there, I went to Mexico, uh, in northern Mexico, to work as a correspondent. Uh, but then I had applied to uh, for this fellowship, the Knight Badgett Fellowship at Columbia University. And I ended up getting that, which was a total surprise, because I just thought I'd have to apply and then apply a couple more times before you get it. And I thought, in the meantime, I'll work in Mexico, you know, yada, yada. But then I got it, and I had to decide, oh, gosh, I just got to Mexico. What do I do? Do I stay and give up this fellowship, or do I just take the fellowship? And I decided to take the fellowship, um, which was which was, which was a real turning point in a lot of ways because um, I ended up, it was a one-year fellowship, but I ended up staying a second year to finish my master's in, uh, at the School of International and Public Affairs. Um, it was, uh, it's changed, the fellowship has changed a little bit now. Now you can just take an extra class and technically you can get your master's in journalism or you can get your MBA. You can stay a second year and get an MBA. I didn't want an MBA. I mean, my, I was a double major, journalism and international relations. So I figured, well, I'll stay a second year and get my master's in international affairs, which I did. Um, but I also ended up meeting uh, the person I, I ended up marrying. <laughs> so it all worked out because, I, you know, we couldn't really go back overseas. He was an editor of the Wall Street Journal. So, you know, our, our lives ended up just staying in the U.S. and I became a business reporter and, um, you know, our lives kind of went in a different direction. But, um, but yeah, so that was kind of the next sort of, you know directional change in my career becoming a business reporter you have a very adventurous life i love the opportunities that you had <laughs> traveling and you took advantage of all of them but that's what i wanted to do ever since i was a high school kid that's why i wanted journalism is i wanted i wanted to be able to see the world and you know yeah that's what we did um and we ended up doing that even more after we got married because you know we after after i got my master's degree we moved to Dallas, because I worked at the Dallas Morning News, and he was at the Wall Street Journal's bureau there. Then we moved to San Francisco, back to San Francisco for me, because I worked at the Chronicle, and he was at a tech magazine. Then he ended up, go we ended up going to Philadelphia, because he got his MBA, and that's where I started teaching. I spent a year at Temple University full-time, because I was freelancing full-time as a journalist, and it was going really well back in the day when you could literally make a living full-time freelancing, especially as a business reporter. But it was very isolating, you know, you just by yourself at home and you're not in an office with other people. And it was just, I just, it was like a little too isolating. So I started applying to be an adjunct professor, like maybe teach a class here or there at various universities in Philadelphia. And Temple Universities, you know, I got a call back from them and they said, yeah, you can come teach a class for us, you know, one class per semester. I thought, great, that'd be perfect. And then they had a surge in enrollment and they got the okay to hire someone for a year full time. And they offered it to me. So I ended up, you know, getting this one-year appointment at Temple, teaching full-time. I think I taught three courses per semester and maybe one short course as well. So I mean, it was just like trial by fire. They just threw me in, teach all these courses. I thought, okay, I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm going to do it. And then um, during that year, a former professor 
uh, from USC called and said, hey, we're hiring four people. You should apply. You're like perfect candidate for these professional jobs because um, it's a professional school. They, they do hire people with doctorates, but they also want most of the people there have are professional journalists. You know, you have the perfect experience. You know, you've been a journalist, but you've also you have teaching experience. Um, you're an alum. You know, you should apply. And I did, and I ended up getting a job. So I ended up going into academia much sooner than I ever thought I would. I always wanted to do it at some point, but I ended up doing it probably 10, 15 years sooner than I ever thought I would. Um, but I just couldn't pass up the opportunity. You know, how many times do you get an offer from your alma mater to, you know, come back and teach? So, and plus it was home for me. You know, at that point, my parents were getting older. Um, and it was just kind of the right time to come back. So I have a quick question. I know you have your doctorate of education. At what point did mm. you decide to pursue that? You know, that's an interesting question. I Probably not at the best time. At the time I decided to start, my daughter was in preschool. <laughs> so I was working full time at USC. My daughter was in preschool. Um, I guess I just figured, you know, why wait? Just, just do it. Just start. And, um, you know, part of the reason I decided to do it is because if you're at USC, you get tuition remission. And so it was almost free financially, almost. It was a pretty good deal. And so I figured I should just do it. Why pass that up? And I always wanted to do it. And plus I wanted to do it in the school of education because I have a young daughter and I figured a great, great, time to learn about education, right? As your child is younger. And plus it's, it's, it's my racket. I'm teaching, <laughs> you know, I should obviously learn more about it and learn more about organizational change and leadership and all of that. So, um, you know, it ended up just working out. I had a very supportive boss also at the time. Uh, not all bosses I think would have supported doing something like that, but she even okayed a sabbatical or a one semester sabbatical when I was um, finishing my dissertation, which I don't think too many people, I think, would do that. I, and I know they wouldn't do it now, Now I think, but um, back then uh, she, she swung that for me. So, you know, it worked out really well. In regards to your community, I, I know you mentioned your boss and being supportive were there other communities that were supportive as you were um, working to obtain your, your, your doctorate? Yeah, I mean, I had um, obviously my family and my husband, of course, just super, super supportive. Um, you know, you can't do it without a good partner, if you're partnered, right? You have a spouse of some sort or, or your kids. Um, and, and just, you know, my, uh, my work family. You know, I have some very good um, colleagues. You know, academia can be really tough. Uh, it can be really vicious and backstabbing. And there are some people who can be very, very ambitious. And um, to, to the, you know, you know, they put, they put themselves and their needs, you know, above everyone else's and even above the organizations. Um, but I've been fortunate at Annenberg um, to have, you know, become very close to some really wonderful people who aren't like that, you know, who are really supportive, where I, I hope we're all supportive of each other. And, you know, we put the students first and, um, 
we put the school first, right? And um, they've been, you know, I, I think they were all, they've all been amazing. And I think, uh, and still are. So, you know, and it, it's, it's a little bit of everything, right? You know, if someone, now that we're getting older, right? Um, you know, if someone ha- wants to or has to, pre-COVID, for example, and now post-COVID, you know, need to go take their child to uh, college visits or you need to go somewhere for, or miss class for classes for a week or even just for a day, you know, we'll sub for each other. Um, we do things like that um, to help each other out. Uh, so, it, you know, and you need to have that. You need to have that in any work environment. What is your, um, I would say not daily life look like, but your weekly life in what you do as a professor? Pre-COVID or during COVID or, <laughs> I guess it's kind of the same. I mean, really, and this is how I did it, did the dissertation um, or when I was, when I was going to school full time, going to school and also working full time. Um, you know, I treat, I, I would work kind of like in a frenzy during the week, almost like a, treat it like a real nine to five job, but during nine to five, as much as I could, I work hard um, and really, and, and not, not that I recommend this, but mostly I would like work through lunch or work at my desk, not take breaks, not go to coffee. And I know that probably hurt in many ways because you should be schmoozing with people, right? Going to lunch, going to drinks, but you'll find a lot of women don't do that. Um, and that's kind of a genderized thing. And I know it's wrong. I know it's bad. You should, and I will tell you now, you young women, um, try and make time to do that, do, do that sort of thing right? Have a long lunch once a week with someone. I, I never did. And I think it's, that's not wise, but anyway, that's what I did because I wanted to be able to go home at a decent hour and have dinner with my family and, um, you know, not have to work at night, you know, or, you know, be so stressed out or work a lot on the weekends, you know? So I really just kind of hammered everything, hammered through everything during the week. Really almost, I felt like in a frenzy. Um, but, you know, everyone works at a different pace. Some people like, you know, picking things up again at night after the kids are asleep or getting up really early in the morning and working a couple hours in the morning. Everyone's different. So you have to kind of find what works for you. Um, but but I still, I think still to this day, that's kind of what I like to do. I like to kind of try to get as much done as I can during, you know, what I call business hours, right? Monday through Friday. Um, during the pandemic, I was, it just didn't work out. I ended up doing lots of stuff over the weekend, um, more than I think I would have liked just everything kind of blurred together. And, um, also we all got COVID (laughs) All my whole family got COVID. And so I think that, um, also just, uh, you know, it just took a long time to get over the fatigue. And so things just ended up doing less, a little bit less during the week and having to take more breaks, more naps. And so things just did trickle over into the weekend. But I think once uh, we get back to re- into the regular swing of things in the fall, you know, as much as I can, I just, I'm just going to go back to that. It's going to be Monday through Friday, you know, as much as I can, um, and just do little things here and there after a certain time at night. I mean, you always have to be available for students. I mean, that's what I will say is, God forbid, an emergency or something, you know, always there for students. But heavy-duty work, I mean, I really just try not to not to let it bleed into, you know, late night or through dinner or weekends because it's just not healthy. It sounds very smart to be able to establish boundaries so that you're not carrying over things into the evening and then even the weekend. So even though you're working rigorously, you know, frantically, as you mentioned, 
during those nine to five hours, but at the same time you're giving yourself a break after hours as well as on the weekend. What keeps you motivated? Uh, well, I, I enjoy what I do. I really enjoy teaching. I enjoy working with students, um, particularly students of color, particular first-gen students, because that's who I was. Um, and so, you know, I really enjoy seeing them discover their, what, uh, you know, what they can do, what they love to do, how they can get to where they want to be. Um, and just seeing them succeed, that means a lot. Um, whether or not it's journalism, you know, students major in all kinds of things and don't end up doing whatever it is they thought they were going to do. That's fine. That's totally okay. Um, you discover something totally different. That's what college is for. So, I mean, that's a, that's a huge motivation. Um, I also, uh, you know, one of two Latinas, one of three Latinas in the entire, uh, on the faculty of the entire Annenberg School, journalism and communication. Um, so the numbers are pathetic, still pathetic. And so I think that's a huge responsibility is to kind of represent and push for more inclusion and diversity and to, you know, encourage others, other women of color, especially, you know, Latinas who are trying to, you know, you know, be promoted within the academy and to promote their work and their success. Um, and also just what, whatever work I can do, you know, whatever, um, scholarly articles I can do usually tends to focus on either pedagogy or um, Latinas and we're working on a big project now multiple multi-pronged project about Latinas um, that will continue I, I hope and lead to several articles possibly a book a website lots of different things um, so I mean all of that I think keeps me highly motivated and it's um, you know I think it's you know, hopefully providing a service to lots of different people, uh, lots of different constituencies, right? Students, um, scholars, prof the profession. You know, I still try and do my freelance work. And my freelance work does tend to focus on on uh, the Latino community. I'm trying to finish three freelance pieces now. They're all about about Latinos, um, Latinas, Latinos. So I'm trying to get those done so I can just take a break, a little break this summer. <laughs> um, and one scholarly article, which is almost done, we're going to present it at a conference and then finish it up and send it out to a journal. So, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I really uh, just enjoy enjoy what I do. Um, you know, it's it's a little, little corner of the world, I guess, but it's, you know, I feel like it's, I feel productive. I mean, I feel like I'm contributing something, a little bit, somewhere. Uh, and like I said, I think it's important to be there for, for people, for other Latinos, Latinas, and whether they're students or faculty and staff too, staff on our, at the university. Yes, that's very important to mention as well. It's not only the students, but also the faculty and staff that are working there. What advice do you have for Latinas who are considering higher education as a career? Uh, I would say to really do your research, number one, because as you probably know, um, higher ed is changing a lot. Um, you know, there's lots of talk that about certain disciplines being oversaturated and people going in and majoring in whatever, you know, pick a discipline and then they go out and try and find a job and they realize there aren't any jobs or at least not tenure track jobs. So you have to understand, you know, the different types of jobs that will be available. 
um, whether you're willing to do more of a clinical type job and what universities are best to do that sort of work in. Um, be open to different types of universities. I mean, there's lots of really great opportunities at community colleges, which I think higher ed often tends to, or at least people who teach um, in doctoral programs tend to look down on, and I think that's really wrong. I think, um, I know lots of people who teach in community colleges and love it, absolutely love it. Um, feel they're making a huge, huge difference. And uh, so I think that is something that people should be, should really think about and consider. Uh, they should also think about uh, going to, you know, teaching colleges, teaching universities, as opposed to like these R1 research one universities. I mean, if that's what you really want to do, that's great. That's fine. But that's not necessarily the only path. Um, and, it, and plus, it's going to be really tough, because like I said, fewer and fewer jobs, fewer tenure track jobs. Um, but that's okay, because again, you can do some really great work at, at teaching universities and be very, very fulfilled. But you have to kind of decide which teaching universities you might want to go do, because they're not all created equal. You know, some are better than others, some treat, treat their faculty better than others. But other than that, I mean, I think, yeah, I mean, I think it can be a great, a great life and be very fulfilling, but I think you do need to do your research because there are some places where I think um, you can be made to feel, um, you know, just taken advantage of and overworked and underpaid. So, you know, especially given all the education that, you know, you, you get, and that you put into you know, educating yourself and preparing yourself, so... Yeah, I mean, as you know, the numbers are, are awful. You know, we don't have uh, many Latino, Latina professors at any level. And so, you know, on the other hand, you know, we do, we do need, there, there's a need for more of us. So hopefully, universities will realize that and start, you know, being more open to hiring more Latinos and Latinas. I do have uh, another question in regards to the need for Latina professors. Um, I guess it's relevant to that. Why do you think that sharing this information and creating spaces for Latina professors to share their stories is important? Because I think, you know, just look at our demographics, right? We're very, Latinos in the U.S. are very young, young community, which means, you know, looking at, um, you know, who's going to be going to college in the future, a huge chunk is going to be Latinos and Latinas which means we have to serve this community much better than we have in the past, which means, you know, one way to do it is to have more Latino and Latina professors, right? Educators um, who can encourage uh, at every level, whether it's, you know, middle school, uh, high school, community college, college, right? We need to have educators who know how to connect and connect to and speak to uh, and nurture and educate Latinos and Latinas, right? Um, and so, you know, people need to know that, you know, we come from all different backgrounds, right? It's not like, you know, some people come from, um, you know, families where their parents and grandparents may have been, you know, rich entrepreneurs or had inherited wealth or were, you know, doctors or professors, but there were others who were, you know, our first gen. And that's, that's, that's the American way. That's, that's the, an American story. You know, we, we all can can do it and we find different paths and they can too. And I think it's important for everyone to know that, that, you know, if you have a goal, you know, if you have a dream, um, there's, there's a way to do it. You have to find uh, mentors, you need to find people who believe in you and there are many ways to get to where you want to go. Yes, very true. 
Thank you so much, Dr. Castaneda, for your time, your wisdom, and your voice. Is there anything else you'd like to share before we, we close off today? I would just say to, to anyone is to find your support network, Latino or not, you know, um, you need to find your, your group of people who will be there for you, people you can, you know, rant to, you can cry to, you can celebrate with, but you need to have people that you can just really uh, be honest with and, and are there for you and that you're there for them. Thank you. And with that, we will close off. Thank you for tuning in to Varying Viewpoints, sponsored by the Samuel DeWitt Proctor Institute for Leadership, Equity, and Justice at Rutgers University. I'd like to thank our special guests, Dr. Laura Castaneda, as well as Dr. Mary Beth Gaspin, Brandy Jones, and Priscilla Pierre.